I think one of the strengths of both the Center on Human Development and the USAID is that we're really focused on trying to help people and prioritizing that over um, trying to do something fancy that makes us want to pat ourselves on the back, right? We have a lot of people that were um, former special education professionals or people that have a family member with a disability or people experiencing disability. We're all, we all have like a personal connection to it, which isn't always the case when we're looking at academic research institutions. And I think that really sets us apart. And I'm proud of that, at least. This is Josh. And this is Nicole. And you're listening to the Oregon Transition Podcast. Brought to you by the TCAN, the Transition Technical Assistance Network and professionals across the state. We've got you covered from Portland to Ontario, from Hood River to Klamath Falls, from Seaside to Burns, and everywhere in between. Hey, Nicole. I just want to welcome you back, virtually, of course, to my closet where I'm recording again. It's exciting as always. I'm excited to uh, to see you in your closet again. <laughs> yep. And we're doing that because that's where we can get the best sound for this recording. And because of appropriate social distancing, Josh. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Nicole, tell me about today's episode. Well, today's episode is all about the you said. The what said? <laughs> the you said, Josh. I know that not a lot of people are familiar with the USEDs. So USED stands for University Center for Excellence in Developmental Disabilities. Oh, you mean the USED. That's exactly what I said. (laughs) Well, insert dad joke here. Well, Nicole, this is exciting because I feel connecting with individuals who work in higher ed is so helpful to transition. Right, Josh. And and the USED provides so many resources and so many opportunities, not only for um, upper education and and educators and support workers, but for communities as a whole. And I'm excited for you to hear about what the USED is from from, uh, Lindsay, as well as some other projects she has going on. My name is Lindsay Sobey, and I am the Program and Evaluation Manager for the USED at uh, OHSU at Oregon Health and Science University. We've actually been around a long time. We've been around almost 50 years. We've been doing work in the Oregon community for people with disabilities and their families for quite a while. Um, USEDs are actually uh, all over the country. There's 67 of them all over the country. And um, not, not a ton of people are familiar with them though. So it's, it's exciting to be able to share a little bit with you about them. Um, they uh, are, at, there's at least one in every state. And here in Oregon, we actually have uh, two USEDs. So we have one at OHSU and one at University of Oregon. There's a USED at OHSU in Portland, and there's one in Eugene at the University of Oregon. Nicole, what do they do? Well, Josh, after speaking with two people from the USED this last week, I can officially say that I'm not an expert, but I can give you I can give you the nutshell approach. 
The USAID is really focused on providing support for the support people. They're supporting people that are working with individuals that experience disability. They're also supporting people that are going through training programs and they're also conducting a lot of research around what are the best methods and ways to support people that experience disabilities. They're all about getting involved in the community and making sure that people have access to all types of resources that they need and that their communities are updated with the most current happenings that are going on. Part of the Oregon Transition podcast mission during the COVID-19 crisis is to be able to bring you content that would have been presented in breakout sessions during this year's Oregon Statewide Transition Conference. That's right. And one of those presenters was Lindsay and her team, and they had an exciting opportunity to share curriculum with teachers partnering with the Oregon Health Authority uh, on a contract to do some teacher training. Um, And we've decided to work closely with transition programs on that. And the the program will involve uh, teachers being trained to implement a curriculum called Friendships and Dating. And Friendships and Dating, it's it's an evidence-based curriculum that was designed at the University of Alaska, you said. So we're excited to be partnering with another USED on this. It is designed specifically for people with intellectual developmental disabilities. They've used it all over the state of Alaska in agencies. Um, and it's also they've also worked closely with a number of other states to implement it in um, a variety of settings. So we were really excited to get this contract with Oregon Health Authority and really just thought that transition programs were a great setting for teaching sexual health. We've learned from teachers that they need support and curriculum and training and um, support to be able to do those those kinds of lessons. So yes, very, very exciting. As a former transition teacher, I was always looking for curriculum to to implement with my students and it, it's so important to have a curriculum out there that will help students navigate this very personal and very intimate subject. Friendships and dating is I would say it's it's a curriculum that really is I think very appropriate for students who are in that transition age. There's definitely some instruction about things like anatomy and safer sex practices, but a lot of it is really geared towards that relationship building aspect of um, sexuality and and friendships and dating. So there's going to be a lot of emphasis on teaching people about how to read emotions and how to understand emotions and how to communicate about emotions. Understanding things like boundaries and consent is a big, big portion of that too. So some of those skills that um, I think that if you know, students with disabilities who are in transition programs, if they've missed out on some of that instruction in like their high school years, then I think this is a good way to fill that gap. It's addressing the fact that people with disabilities still want to have relationships, they experience sexuality, uh, they have some specific learning needs around that. And What's great about this curriculum is it's really it's designed in that kind of universal design way so that there's a lot of different ways of teaching this material in the curriculum, which I think is really effective. 
with this population. And also, it is evidence-based, so they've actually done a couple evaluation studies. So there's some evidence that it's really effective, particularly in reducing interpersonal violence. So one of the, one of the goals of the program is, is to re reduce incidences of interpersonal violence that people might experience, which we know for people with disabilities, there are high rates of, of interpersonal violence and sexual assault. So um, yeah, so this, I think it's, it's an excellent program to just really give you know, people with disabilities, people who are in that transition age, some of those skill building opportunities around this topic. Wow, curriculum that focuses on boundaries and consent and healthy relationships is huge. That's huge for students that experience disability. That's also huge for anyone, whether they experience a disability or not. So Nicole, how can I get more information? Good question. So how do people get involved? We, um, the goal here is to offer two trainings this summer, the first being in June and the second being in August. And teachers who uh, participate in the June training, our goal with them would be for them to implement the, the program starting in the fall with their students. And then teachers who do the August training, we're hoping would implement in January. So we'll have like two cohorts of teachers implementing. Um, we are offering the training for free and we're also able to offer some support for teachers to attend and travel support and also some financial support around um, implementation too. So there's a lot of support, <laughs> which is hopefully a lot of incentive. Teachers will give the two-day training, they'll get a copy of the curriculum. Um, really the expectations of teachers are to, to implement with their students. Um, we, we have an expectation around data collection, so there'll be some, some data that we're collecting from the students and um, you know, some responsibilities of the teachers to help us collect that. And um, also, just to kind of continue, there'll be some other learning opportunities um, throughout the year, some webinars and, and some check-in meetings. So just participate, you know, continuing to participate in those um, will be another expectation. And yeah, beyond that, we're really hoping teachers, um, you know, enjoy this curriculum and have a good experience with it with their students and just continue to have it be a part of their, their transition program that they're providing. So Nicole, do you know who they are looking to participate in this training? Well, Josh, they're looking for a mix of schools from across the state. They want rural and urban and everywhere in between. They, they really want to get a widespread consortium of, of teachers to, to start this new curriculum in their classrooms. The best way for teens to find out more information about this opportunity is to connect directly with Lindsay via email at SAUVV as in Victor at ohs.edu or by checking out the website for more information. The website is www.ohsu.edu slash UCED, U C E D D, and that takes folks to our homepage. And then we have a um, on the navigation bar on the top, there's uh, one that says community training and activities. And if folks go down to sexual health promotion, that lists out all of our um, community trainings that we do on sexual health. 
And this one is called uh, Sexual Health and Healthy Relationships Education for Oregon's Transition Students. And they can get to the page there. So it's a little buried on our page, but that's how you get to it. There's a little bit more information there. There's also my email address and phone number on that page as well. So people can definitely reach out to me with questions. Um, we also have a link there to the Friendships and Dating uh, the Alaska website too, if folks want to learn a little bit more about the curriculum. So Nicole, we just heard from the USAID at OHSU in Portland. Now let's hear from the USAID at the University of Oregon. My name is Chris Knowles. I am a faculty member at the University of Oregon in the Department of Special Education and Clinical Sciences. And I am the Associate Director of the University Center on Excellence in Developmental Disabilities, known as the USED, which is housed um, in the Center on Human Development here at the University of Oregon. We have started a COVID-19 resource page, um, a collaborative effort with our team members. As this health crisis began and as resources started coming in, we made the decision that we wanted to provide resources, but a little bit more uh, curated resources. So we, we felt that there was a lot of information fatigue happening. You know, you can only get so many links sent to you. And so um, we're really trying to keep a focus on contributing something new um, to the world <laughs> that could be support. So an example, we have a social narrative that parents can use with their children about um, accepting change, accepting the change in their routine and why they're not going to school and what's happening. We also just added a um, request for uh, community members to email us any resources that may be valuable to them. And we will try to honor as many of those requests as we can. And if we can't, you know, looking, we'll look at specific themes of our different requests to help guide what we're actually populating that page with. But to be clear, we definitely don't want to be comprehensive. We want to be um, we're almost just kind of like a little boutique, uh, not overwhelming spot that, um, you know, hopefully people can find something to be helpful for them. And we're trying to focus on supporting, you know, families working with their children at home, we have some supports Alexis has created for people providing um, residential support for individuals experiencing disabilities. And then um, soon we're going to start populating it with uh, different content that perhaps would be targeted at special education teachers. So this is great, Nicole. I'm, I am looking at their webpage right now, and their webpage is really easy to find. It's just chd.uoregon.edu slash COVID-19. And I'm seeing really easy links to find in, in information from the CDC and the Oregon Health Authority and the World Health Authority. I'm also seeing links to special education resources. And I see some great articles about how to talk to your child about change and how to, what to do if you're sick during the virus outbreak and information on how to create routines for individuals that might experience disability. 
Right, Josh. And their their content is is unique in that if you have a request for something that, that you can't find out there, a resource that you do need during this time, all you have to do is, is send them a request. There should be a button on that page that you can click to send them a direct email and say, hey, I need... I need to know how to talk about XYZ, or I need some more information about how to provide supports around these, like for a specific population, around things that are happening with, with the COVID pandemic, and they'll be able to help you or point you in the right direction. So Nicole, I think one of the most challenging things about this situation that we're all in is that everybody had to learn a new paradigm of distance learning, distance meetings as it was happening and isn't the most common expression we're hearing nowadays is we're building this plane as we're flying it wouldn't it be great if there was some program out there or some organization that provided training funny you should mention that josh because you said is on the job right now they are designing a training for paraeducators that is on a virtual platform I started my career in special education as a paraeducator. I was a paraeducator in juvenile justice settings, in life skill settings, and then ended my paraeducator career supporting kindergartners with autism to be fully included in their classroom. That was that was a hoot and a holler. <laughs> um, and then from there, I went on to become a special education teacher, um, where I, you know, had. Uh, I was a direct supervisor for many paraprofessionals and had to provide training for them all on my own. And that was one of the focus areas when I went back to school I wanted to work on because paraprofessionals provide so um, so many valuable supports to our students. And for many of our students, uh, they're time receiving direct services are much more with paraprofessionals than even a special education teacher. And there aren't really, um, many districts don't have the capacity to provide the, the amount of training that really these professionals should have. And so um, I began working on this particular area of looking at online paraprofessional training um, because number one there was online is the new thing and i think this um, health crisis is making us realize how important it is to have flexibility and how different types of information are received you know though the one day in-person paraprofessional training if schools were able to provide that for students uh, or for their paras isn't you know number one there's a lot of cost associated to that because you have to um, you know you, or you should compensate those professionals for their time but then also they're losing uh, contact minutes with students so in my case my district if the paraprofessionals were absent that day there was no substitute so that was a, a real hit on our classroom if some of those professionals were gone um, but looking at a recent literature review that came out in 2019 on reviewing paraeducator curriculum training curriculum online programs were not included so when I saw that I thought well that's, you know, online programs are almost becoming more of a go-to. So there's an opportunity there. And when I started that project, I also 
started diving into the literature and then seeing that there was a space for a training program that accounts for the fact that these professionals don't have a lot of time um, and accounts for the fact that districts don't have a lot of money, but everybody wants to provide training. And so um, that is the current project that I'm working on right now. And I'm working on in collaboration with Oregon Research Schools Network and some of the schools in their network have been interested and they've been a valuable support in the development of that as well. Um, so it's, it's, we're still in the phase where we're prioritizing capturing the voice of the individuals working in the school. So I ran some groups this summer um, under the umbrella of something that's called design-based implementation research, which I look at it as a fancy way to say, include the people that you're creating something for in the design process, which as a former teacher, that's a no brainer. Um, but uh, we had some groups of special education teams come into the University of Oregon and spend little half day sessions with me, um, just talking about what they think they needed um, and talking about different barriers to implementation. And, and that provided a real foundation for the development of the current program. So the concept of online training isn't new, but the availability of it for paraprofessionals, Chris found that it was very lacking. So her you said is really taking up the task of providing this brand new resource that is still in the works, but is geared towards those paraprofessionals. And as we are all becoming very comfortable using online tools, we might be using online tools more often in the future. So developing a training that could be accessed online is huge. You said is again, one step ahead of everybody. Let's hear from Chris for a little bit more information on this training. Um, we talked about um, what we would identify as we call the pervasive problems of practice. So like, what are the things that you know, are just tough with the, you know, difficult with the job or challenging with the job where additional training would be of value. And I found that um, when I talked to teams about this, it was interesting how much overlap there was from our elementary teams versus our middle and secondary teams. So there's some universal themes, I guess you could say, you know, so I think the, the core content features we're still working out a scope and sequence of what that's going to look like but um the big things are going to be building relationships with students um behavior management preventative positive practices and um there's been requests for communication roles and responsibilities um those types of different barriers of just having a busy day that prevent you from doing the communication and collaboration that is required of, you know, a team. So um, I don't think there's going to be, and, and then, oh, we also identified self-care and this was before the health crisis, but I think is even more relevant now. We're going to try to be comprehensive, but again, understanding that there's only so much information you can learn. Um, and so trying to be cognizant of what are the most critical 
things that we can give to someone that they can learn that can make the biggest impact. Wow, that is going to be very valuable for paraeducators. Uh, we, I'm really thankful that Chris and the USAID are doing this work. And you know, Chris is always looking for, for new voices in this process. I think if anybody is interested in this or sees value in this, then I would welcome them to email me and uh, I would be happy to figure out how they could be included or include their voice in this process. For more information, reach out to Chris Knowles at C-K-N-O-W-L-E-S at uoregon.edu or check out the Center for Human Development website at chd.uoregon.edu. Our last topic tonight, Josh, is, is one that is actually a bit of a throwback. And it works out well because they are important when it comes to the USAID. That's right, Nicole. It's the Community Advocacy Council, also known as the CAC. It's a group of essentially community consultants that are all self-advocates, so they're all adults experiencing developmental disabilities, and they inform a lot of the work we do, and it's an important part of our USAID. Can someone tell me what the CAC stands for? Community Advocacy Council. Awesome. And what do you, what is the Community Advocacy Council? We give advice yep. to the UCED about what they should work on. All right, you give advice to the said about what they should work on. That's awesome. Josh, is it just me or are you not social distancing in that clip? I was not. I was invited to a CAC meeting back in January. And my goal for attending the meeting was just to get more information and find out more about what they do. Well, well, all those guys also have a book. We have, we, we have very disabilities, and so it's really empowering to come together and talk about issues and be able to come up with a plan to take out out of the community and help other people <coughs> be successful and stuff. So I think that's a huge thing. Yeah. Be able to come together as a team, get a plan, and then go out and help other people. Wow, Josh, this is a great advocacy council that informs the USAID. It's people that seem really empowered and passionate about what they do. Um, did they give you any examples of things that, that they've done? Yeah, they have this amazing story about how they facilitated change at the University of Oregon's Knight Library. We show others with what advocacy looks like. We take our first-hand knowledge of what we experience in the disabled community and then we're able to then apply that to other situations we hear about and like find ways that we can then pinpoint that we can help others by being advocates for them because we've been there too. Yeah. That's so important. Can you give me an example of one time that that happened where, where you took your own experience and you helped somebody else navigate a situation? Well, a big example would probably be um, how we helped out the Knight Library here at the UO to get more accessible for disabled people, such as disabled students. 
a disabled student who goes here and the library just had you know some elevators that weren't very accessible for students if you need to go like up and down the floors at the night library like you naturally have to do when you're in class and so we found that, oh we couldn't just go up to the disability um what was it called the it was an exhibit oh yeah the disability exhibit that was on one of the upper floors at night library it was really challenging yeah we had to take the elevators to even get up there to see what disabled people in the past had to go through <coughs> and we weren't really even able to easily access the elevators to go up to see the exhibit so we had challenges even um getting up there to see how disabled people had to deal with their strife yeah, before us as was us having to deal with their own strife right to even see it we are people too, you know, and we live our lives like anybody else. The fact of the matter is we don't need no special training, you know. I agree. People can just realize how powerful we are. Yeah. yeah. They would ask us out for mm -hmm. answers, you know? Yeah. And they should. What an amazing story of advocacy. They took an inaccessible option and and made it so that people could access it. That's it's phenomenal what, what a group of people can do when they put their heads together. What's really great is is that the USAID has an advisory council of individuals that experience disability to direct their work. And it's really important to connect with the people they serve because they are the experts. Well, Josh, we've come to the end of another episode. How are you feeling? Uh, I'm getting used to this, Nicole. When we first started talking about podcasting remotely, that was really hard for me to wrap my head around how it was going to work. But I, I'm, I'm feeling pretty comfortable with it now. Way to go expressing your feelings and self-advocating, Josh. That's what I do. This was a really important information about the USAID and how we as people who support transition in primarily public schools can work with higher ed. It's an underutilized resource that we're hoping to get more people involved in. So we will see you next time. Peace out, pod people. <laughs> Be well. The Oregon Transition Podcast is brought to you by the TTAN, the Transition Technical Assistance Network, with support from Vocational Rehabilitation and Oregon Department of Education. All views and opinions expressed on this podcast belong to the individuals, not necessarily their supporting agency. The Oregon Transition Podcast is produced by Nicole Perdue, Josh Barber, Tony DePeel, and the podfather himself, Lon Thornburg. With additional interviews provided by members of the TTAM. Our theme music is composed by former transition student Boone Richter out of Brownsville, Oregon. Additional music provided by Lon Thornburg. For questions, comments, or episode ideas, please email us at OregonTransitionPodcast at gmail.com. And for all the latest OTP news, connect with us on Facebook. I did also want to put in a plug for another online resource that we have um, since online resources are
popular and needed right now. So on that same webpage, the USEV webpage, um, we worked really closely with Multnomah County, local county here uh, in Portland, uh, on a program called SHEED, Sexual Health Equity for Individuals with Intellectual and Developmental Disabilities. One of the projects that came out of that was a sexual health resource hub. So we actually put together a resource hub on the USED webpage that has a ton of really great resources information um, about sexual health and supporting the sexual health of young people with intellectual and developmental disabilities. So if folks go to that same USED webpage um, and scroll over to resources and under resources is a link that says sexual health resources and really just a lot of great um, resources on there, particularly for teachers. So if teachers, you know, even aside from being a part of our program are, are looking for just some tools to be able to um, talk about sexual health, to bring it up in conversations, to teach about it, um, are gonna find some really great tools there. So just wanted to put a, a plug in for our, for one of our other projects there.